Would you open up your Bibles with me this morning to the Gospel of John, chapter 7, the Gospel of John, chapter 7, continuing our study through John. It's on page 1058, if you're using a pew Bible, 1058, and we see the crowds wrestling with the question of where Jesus is from and what that means. So let me read John 7, page 1058, or look at verses 25 to 35 today, 36. It says in John 7, 25, At that point, some people of Jerusalem began to ask, Isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is, speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? But we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his time had not yet come. Still many in the crowd put their faith in him. They said, when the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I'm only with you for a short time, and then I will go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live, scattered among the Greeks, and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? Where is Jesus from? That's the debate in this text. It's kind of an interesting question, where is Jesus from? It's one of those questions where when you start thinking about it a little bit, you realize that it's, it's kind of a crystallizing, a sort of clarifying question. Because depending on how you answer where Jesus is from becomes a bit of a, an interpretive fork in the road in how you understand Jesus, the Bible, Christianity, everything. It's, it's a simple question, but it's one of those questions that gets to the nub of the matter. It's a helpful question. I, I mean, maybe you're here today and you're maybe new to our church and it's just very different than what you're used to, or perhaps you're kind of new to Christianity or you grew up with it, but you feel like you still don't know anything. Or, or maybe you're looking at this Bible that we keep asking you to open and you're thinking, wow, that is a big book. You know, how, how do you... How is one supposed to get their head around this? There's just a lot here. Um, it, it seems too complex, too much information. Well, well, this is a question that can get you to the heart of the matter. Where is Jesus from? That, that's a key question. That's what they were debating in our text in verses 25 to uh, 36. Here we find Jesus in this text. He's in Jerusalem. He's at the temple. He's teaching at the temple. 
and uh, he's there during the Feast of Tabernacles. There were three feasts during the year when Jews would come from around Israel and even beyond to Jerusalem to celebrate. Tabernacles is the fall uh, harvest feast. It's late September, early October. And here he is in the temple, and we find him teaching. Well, actually, we find him arguing. He's in the middle of this ongoing, rolling argument. In fact, pretty much from chapter 7, verse 14, all the way till the end of chapter 8, is this sort of multi-round slug match between Jesus and the crowds where he goes back and forth. They're having this ongoing argument. So here we see round two of the prize fight, John chapter 7, verse um, 25. And here's the question, where is Jesus from? So let's look at what the crowds are saying. Let's kind of jump into this round of the fight. Verse 25, it says, at some point, at that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? So here are the people of Jerusalem. And and now that kind of the focus uh, closes in on specifically the residents of Jerusalem. Again, there were people from all over Israel and beyond who came to Jerusalem during this feast. But now, now the focus really is in the text on the Jerusalemites, the townies. Okay? And the townies are wondering why Jesus is being allowed to live and why he's being allowed to teach. The, the crowds who've come from out of town, the outlanders, they're not quite aware of the politics. You know, if you go back to verse 19 that we studied last Sunday, Jesus says to the crowds at the end of verse 19, Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowds answered. Who's trying to kill you? We don't know what you're talking about. So the crowds are kind of like, is he paranoid? What's going on with him? What's wrong with him? But the townies, they know the internal politics, and they're like, yeah, we know. They're trying to kill him. And so the townies are having a private townie conversation. They're going, isn't this the guy? You know, we know what's going on behind the scenes. The leaders, the priests, the Pharisees. They want this guy gone. Here he is speaking publicly. What's up with that? Have the authorities concluded, is is it possible, that they flip-flopped and now they really think he is the Messiah? Is that possible? But just as soon as they raise the possibility in verse 27, they dismiss it out of hand. They say, no, that can't be. It can't be because they think he's the Christ. Because anyone who knows anything about the Messiah's coming knows that this can't be him. Why not? Because they know where he is from. Check out verse 27. But we know where this man is from. And when the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. And so they they understand Jesus. They interpret him a certain way because they have a specific answer to the question, where is Jesus from? And their answer is, we know where he's from. And so this can't be the Messiah. It's impossible. Because when the Messiah comes, no one knows where he's from. Now, now what do they mean there when they say that, verse 27? We we know from um, some Jewish writings before the time of Jesus leading up to it and some early church writings just after the time of Jesus that, that among the various sort of ideas about the coming of the Messiah that were percolating out there among Judaism, one of the popular ideas was that when the Messiah came, it would be a very surprising event. It would kind of be sudden. It would be dramatic. He would come uh, kind of as out of nowhere, as it were. 
he, he wouldn't sort of have this career of building up to the Messiah. He, he would just kind of appear on the scene like a superhero, you know, and he's here. And now he's there to rescue Israel from their enemies, and people would be startled. Even though they believed that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, no one would know who he was. In fact, there's some Jewish writings that said the Messiah was created at the beginning of the world, and he's been in a secret hiding place, and he's going to pop out sort of right at, at the last moment there. So anyway, you, you know, there are various sort of visions, ideas, interpretations of this, but there's this idea that you wouldn't know where he'd come from, that he would come onto the scene dramatically, even supernaturally. But they know where Jesus is from. There's nothing surprising about Jesus. He's from Nazareth. That doesn't speak very highly. Messiah doesn't come from Nazareth. We know his mom. We know his dad. We know his four brothers and his sisters. We know who all these people were. He's a carpenter's kid. We know him. We've been following his career. You know, we've heard about him. He's up in Galilee, you know, and he's teaching up there, and he's supposedly doing miracles. He was down here last Passover six months ago. He did some miracles. That's when they started the plot to kill him. And now he's gone, and now he's back. You know, this it's no surprise here. We know where he's from. This can't be the guy because we know we got him pegged. Do you know where Jesus is from? Where, where would you say Jesus is from? I, I think that that's kind of more generally speaking one of the answers to the question of where he is from. He's from here. We know. He, he's from here. He's from this world. He's from this place. People today might say that he's from here. We know where he's from. Uh, a, a very skeptical, cynical person might say, yeah, yeah, Jesus, he was a guy, he was a rabbi, misunderstood, got, got himself killed, but his followers persisted, and in the free market of religious ideas, you know, he kind of took off, and his followers started developing this legend that he rose from the dead, and this, this myth that he was the Son of God. And some 300 years later, after they took power, they had these councils where they started saying, yes, he was the Son of God, and they rewrote history. You know, but so, so, you know, there's that cynical view of Jesus that's sort of pushed out there, which doesn't have a lot of historical credibility to it, but people believe it anyway. And, and, and so that's one view of Jesus. And it's like, yeah, we know where he's from. He's from here. He's just another religious guy who spoke, and maybe a good guy, but he's from here. Or maybe you have a little bit higher view of Jesus, and you say, well, no, no, no. I believe he really spoke for God. I believe God used this man. Perhaps, uh, you know, like hundreds of millions of our Muslim neighbors around the world, uh, you believe that Jesus was a prophet, that, that he was more than just some rabbi. He really was a person sent from God uh, Islam teaches that Jesus was a prophet in, in the line of prophets in the Bible. Maybe he was someone who spoke for God, but, but he's still from here. Or maybe you have an even higher view of Jesus. Maybe you would say he is one of the greatest men of human history. He, he is an example of self-sacrifice and love. He is one of the highest moral teachers that has ever spoken in human history. Uh, Gandhi, uh, Mahatma Gandhi, you know, a great man of peace, a great man of, of justice, uh, fighting for those who are oppressed, uh, really came up with this idea of passive resistance that Martin Luther King Jr. learned from that he employed here in our country. You know, you know a, a, a great man, Gandhi. 
And it's interesting, you know, because Gandhi had Christian friends who were always trying to tell him, you need to believe in Jesus. He's the Savior. And Gandhi wrestled with that because he admired Jesus so much, but he never believed that Jesus was the Son of God in that sense. He believed that Jesus was from here. Uh, and Gandhi wrote a little article. Uh, it's it's it short. It's, it's interesting to read, but it's called uh, What Jesus Means to Me. And he talks about it, what Jesus means to him. And he speaks in very high praise of Jesus, that he was a great man. That You know, he says in one, in one sentence, he was the highest example of sacrificing for others and loving others, that he was one of the great moral teachers. Gandhi, when he went so far as to say, is he was a man who lived very close to God and so had a unique kind of communion with God that was almost as if he was you know, the Son of God in, in a sort of general sense. So, you know, a very high view of Jesus in some ways. And yet, at the end of the day, as much as Gandhi thought of Jesus, still from here. You know, Jesus is the greatest man who ever lived from here. And so it, it's still on that path of saying he's, we know where he's from. And he's an amazing man. So, so whatever, it's, it's all part of that that trajectory that one can take in understanding and thinking about Jesus. And the crowds were certainly not that positive. They were dismissive. So how did Jesus respond? Let's go back to the story. Verse 28, Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me and you know where I'm from. I, I may be reading too much into it, but when, when I read that sentence, I, I detect a tad of irony, maybe even sarcasm there. You know me. Sure. Oh, yeah, you got me all figured out. Yep, yep, you're right. Of course you're right. You know me. You know where I'm from. But then he says, I'm not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. So Jesus could say, yeah, yeah, I'm from Nazareth, right. But I'm from him. I'm from God. Now, what does that mean that he's from God? And I think there are at least two ways to take that, two general ways to take it. Um, and, and it gets back to the question of where is he from? One way to take that, that Jesus saying in verse 29, I'm from him, one way to take that is Jesus is saying, God has sent me, God has commissioned me. So yeah, I'm from here, but kind of like, I guess like a prophet. God sent me. I'm from God. He's put, he given me commission. He spoke to me. He appeared to me, whatever. And I'm here representing God. That's one way to take it. Another way to take verse 29 is that Jesus is speaking perhaps more literally, saying, no, no, I'm literally from Him. Like my story didn't start in Nazareth. It didn't even start in Bethlehem. It started in heaven. I'm not from here. I'm from heaven. I'm from a totally different place than here. I'm not just like one of you. There's another part of the story. So which one is it? And as we look at the Gospel of John, as we look at the things Jesus said and taught, it's very clear that Jesus' self-perception and proclamation was the second, that He was from heaven. You know, go back to John chapter 1. Look at the very start of the Gospel. To the very first verses. John 1.1 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was 
God. He was with God in the beginning. So there's God before all things. And then there's the Word, God's, God's Word, God's self-revelation, God's self-expression that was with God but was also God. So he's with and was. It's the mystery of the Trinity. It's you know beyond our ultimate comprehension. He was with God way in the beginning before anything started. But then verse 14, jump down. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. So, so from the very beginning, we see in John that Jesus is from heaven. He is God. He was with God. He was God. He was the Word. And He became a human being named Jesus who lived here in this world. That's, how, that's what Jesus taught about Himself. You, you know, you could go through the Gospel of John and trace this thread. I, we won't take the time this morning to look at every text. You know, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, God loved the world, that He sent His Son. It's the language of sending from one place to another. Or even more explicitly, John chapter 6. I'm just picking some examples here. Look at John chapter 6, verse 38, where Jesus proclaims Himself to be the bread of life. Where He says in verse 38, For I have come down from heaven. Just like the manna came down from heaven in the Old Testament, so Jesus is the bread of life who's come down from heaven. I came from heaven. I'm not from here. I'm from there. Not to do my will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. Even in our text, just go back to the, the passage in John 7 that we're looking at. You know, look what Jesus says later in the passage. Verse 33. So this is the same argument a little bit later in the debate. Jesus said in verse 33, Chapter 7, I'm with you for only a short time, and then I go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. So now it's not just like, where did he come from? But now it's, where is he going? <laughs> Answer, same place. I came from there, and I'm going back there, and you can't find me. You can't find me. You won't be able to come after me. And the people are befuddled. Verse 35, the Jews said to each other, where does he intend to go? Is he going to go among the Greeks? Is he saying like we wouldn't go among the Greeks because we don't want to be among Gentiles? And so is that, in that sense, we, we can't go because we're good Jews and he's willing to compromise? Like, what's he saying? Where could one go? I mean, if I told you, look, I'm going somewhere this afternoon that no other person can go except me. What? <laughs> where, where are you going? Inside your own head? I mean, you know, where, where can you go, Jeremy, that we can't go? I mean, it's a weird statement. But it again it points to this self-understanding of Jesus. He's not from here. He's from another place. He's from heaven. He is not only from the Father's presence, He is from God. He is God. It, it, it's the highest view of Christ. Or, you know, look at... Uh, we could just do this all morning, but just one more. Look at... Um, John chapter 17, verse 5. This is later on where now he's talking about where he's going, not just where he came from, but where he's going. And this kind of ties it both together. John 17, verse 5. The before and the after all tied together. Jesus says, and now, Father, he's about to go to the cross, and now, Father, glorify me where? In your presence. With the glory I had with you, before the world began. 
So that, that's where I was, that's where I'm from, that's where I want to go, and now it's time. My job is done. The hour has finally come for Him to be crucified. So Jesus was very clear that He was from heaven. He wasn't from here. And it is because of that. It's because He's not from here. It's because He is from the Father's presence that He can make the statement that He makes back in chapter 7. All right, back chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. This statement that is so outrageous, it is so over the top that once he says it, once it leaves his lips, they are ready to kill him. Listen to what he says. Verse 28, you do not know him, but I know him because... I'm from him. It's like, Jesus, you got to think about what you're saying, man. You don't want to say this in the temple. I don't say this in front of the, the, the temple townies. <laughs> you don't know God. You people who are the ones who are the, the experts in all the world on interpreting God's word and who keep the temple of God, newsflash, you don't know him. But I know him. Because that's where I'm from. And so if you want to know him, you need to talk to me. Like, wow. No wonder then, verse 30, at this they tried to seize him. You know, that, that, that conversation ended. It just turned into a bedlam. Rah! You know, get him. And then they didn't get him because his time had yet, not yet come. I don't know if he slipped away or something happened. We don't know. But, you know, God is sovereign. When the time was him for go to the cross, it was the time. This was not the time, so they couldn't touch him. But still, he's, he's so clear. This is such a bold statement, such an offensive statement. You know, th- that, that claim of Jesus would be offensive today, too. Sometimes people talk about, you know, if Jesus was around today, he would dot, dot, dot. You know, we, we kind of project upon Jesus what we think he would be like today. If Jesus were around today, he would do this or he wouldn't do that. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think it's a little bit speculative. But, but let me say this, if Jesus said this today, people would still want to run him out of town. If Jesus said to people today, look, 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 you don't know God, you're not spiritual, you don't have the divine spark, you're totally clueless about God, but I know him because that's where I'm from, so if you really want to know him, just talk to me. Like if Jesus said that today, people would be like, what? You know, I, I think Jesus would be just as hated today as he was then. Because he didn't simply go around being nice to people and healing people, which he did, and that amazed some people. But others, it knocked over their whole power structure because he was claiming to be the unique revelation of God. That if you wanted to know God, you had to know Jesus. You don't know him, but I know him. So that he could say later on in John 14, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you don't come through me, you can't get to God. Wow, what a statement. What boldness. And so Jesus really does, this question of where He's from, it really does put a fork in the road for us. It's a watershed kind of issue. Where is He from? And if we say He is from here, that that frames and puts the whole discussion on a completely distinct footing. 
whether you're the skeptical person who's like, yeah, yeah, he's some religious guy and he taught things and people got carried away with what he taught and you know, it doesn't really matter to me today. Just I just wish the economy would get better and I wish I could, you know, had a different job or whatever. Who cares? You know, if you're just kind of in that mindset, that, that's all part of the he's just from here footing. Or maybe you're more positive and you say, no, he was a prophet. Or maybe you're super positive about Jesus and you say he was a great teacher, he was a great moral leader, he, he was a man in whom the divine spark lived and shined brightly, or whatever, whatever you want to say. But it's all in the, the footing of he's from here. He's just one of us. He's maybe the best one of us that ever was, but he's one of us. But the other answer is, yeah, he's one of us, but he's more than one of us. He's, he is a man, but he's also God become flesh. The mystery and the miracle of the incarnation, he's not from here. And, and once you make that fundamental distinction between from here and not from here, and you say, no, originally he's not from here, that puts you on a completely different trajectory, a different frame of reference. And now Jesus, well, he's God. And now we have a different response. We don't just admire and respect him. We worship him. We gather to worship him, to sing his praises, to, to, to declare, you know, to, we get together. It's like, isn't this weird, people? We get together once a week with other people to sing love songs to Jesus. That's what we do every week. It's part of what we do. We want to love Him and praise Him and adore Him. We, we don't just want to imitate Him. We want to obey Him because He's the King and He's the Lord. We, we give our lives for Him. We love Jesus. And we want to talk about Him. We want to proclaim Jesus. We want to proclaim Him boldly. We want to tell people, look, hey, hey, you can know God. You just have to know Jesus. It's awesome. You can know God. Isn't that amazing? And so we're trying to point people to God through Jesus. And it also means that we understand that we're probably going to be marginalized to some degree or another within a particular culture. Because anytime you start telling people boldly, yes, there is a God, and if you want to know Him, you need to know Jesus, that's not going to sit well. And people are, you know, some people are going to be negative. Praise God, we, we do live in a country where you're probably not going to be seized and arrested. We, we don't have that challenge facing us. But it could still be negative. You know, you start talking like that about Jesus and you'll be viewed as bigoted, narrow-minded, benighted, you know, uh, like you've, you, got, you drunk the Kool-Aid, you got sucked into a cold, something's wrong with you. You know, boy, that's such a narrow view of things. How do you think you have all the truth? It's like, I don't think I have all the truth. I feel like I have this much of the truth, but I have Jesus, who is the truth. You know? And that's what I'm telling you about is Jesus. He's the way. And I don't know everything, but I know Jesus. So, so you know, you've got to understand that. You've just got to accept that that's the case. But this is what it comes down to, people. The question isn't, is it narrow-minded or not to say that Jesus is the way? Here's the question. Is it true? Because <laughs> if it's not, true, well then yeah, it's just kind of a crazy statement and then you can talk about other things. But if it's true, then it's true. And, and the most loving thing I can do is tell you that. You know, the, the loving thing you could do would be to come to me and say, Jeremy, you can know God, Jeremy, and, and you can know Him through Jesus. And I say, oh, that's so close. Why do you think you have all the truth? And the person's like, I don't have all the truth. I have Jesus. He is the truth. He is all the truth. And so you need to know Him. And, you know, no matter what I do, and even if I'm upset, the fact is you've been very loving to me 
because you told me the truth. Truth is always a loving thing to do, to tell truth. And so that's the question. Is it true? But it's challenging. We need to know that up front. We need to know as Christians that it won't be well-received. It wasn't well-received in Jesus' day. But here's the encouraging thing. Look at verse 31. Sandwiched right in the middle of this whole debate, this whole verbal street fight. Verse 31. Still many in the crowd put their faith in Him. In the midst of all the wrangling and all the debates and all the arrest warrants and all of the politics, there were some who were believing. There were some who were believing. They said, when the Christ comes, will He do more miraculous signs than this man? There is a remnant chosen by grace. We don't know who they are, but our job is just to be faithful, to say it even if it's not popular, and to trust that amidst all of the the turmoil that there's going to be this person, that person, that family, this neighbor, who are going to start believing as God does His work in the midst of this. And so we need to be passionate about telling people about the Lord because we know that God is at work saving people. Maybe as you read this story, that's where you find yourself. Verse 31. You know, when you read a narrative, it's one of the great things about narratives. Narratives pull you in at a kind of subconscious level. Narratives are just great that way. And um, you, you, you often identify with a character in a narrative. You, you sort of say, yeah, I'm, I'm like this guy, or I see things from that woman's perspective in this story. And maybe as you read this story, maybe you're identifying with the people in verse 31 who are putting their faith in Jesus, and they're saying, when the Christ comes, will He do more miraculous signs than this man? Maybe that's where you're at. You're like, you know, I've got all these questions and things unanswered, but here's the bottom line. I'm seeing some miracles. I have this person in my family who became one of these Christians, and they were like this, and now they're like this. And as much as I try to get into my philosophical gymnastics, end of the day, they were like this, and now they're like this. That doesn't happen in my family history. Our family's all like this, and now they're like this. What happened? It's a miracle. And so you're like these people who are like, yeah, it doesn't all fit. I, you know, I thought he was from here, but bottom line, will he do more miraculous things than these? Maybe there are coincidences happening in your life. Maybe you're here this morning because of a series of things that are happening to you that you're having a hard time explaining. And, and it's God sort of crashing through your, your, rash, your facade of rationality. And He's crashing through with coincidences and, and happenings in your life that just may, are making you question things and say, maybe it's real. Maybe He's at work. And what do you do with the greatest miracle of all? The miracle of a Savior who came to die on the cross. What do you do with Jesus on the cross? You know, if He's of this world, if He's from here, what does the cross mean? Maybe it's sort of like He said the wrong thing to the wrong people. Maybe it's a model of, I don't know, sticking to your guns to the death. Maybe it's a model of love. I don't know in what sense, but it's something like that. But, but if He's from above, then the cross becomes the most amazing message in the world. That God would love us so much that in order to satisfy His own holy justice, he would, he would send His own Son to bear the crushing penalty of sin that I deserve? That's amazing. 
So the cross is the great miracle. And, and perhaps you're finally seeing the cross for what it is, and you think, what God, what, what person would send his own son to save his worst enemies? It doesn't make sense. This is not from here. This is from there. That's not the kind of story we get from here. At the end of the day, I realize that I need a miracle, that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I look at this world, you know, I read the newspaper, check the news websites, I just see that the murder and the atrocities taking place in Syria. It's just like, what do you do? It's so heartbreaking. You, you think about people in the world who want to harm each other, who are developing weapons to harm each other. You, you just hear about war and you, and you wonder, you know, where is all leading? And it's just so discouraging. You look at your own life and you see your sin and, and you come to this conclusion, we need a Savior. But people, that Savior cannot be from here. We don't have the answer here. If we haven't figured that out, then we haven't been paying attention. We need the Savior from there. But praise God, His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You that You came from heaven to earth, that You came to save us from our sins, that You came to die, to be buried, to rise. Oh Lord, we need You. We are exhausted by our own efforts at finding solutions, at improving ourselves. Lord, we need Your supernatural power to change us and to change our lives and our families, to change our country. Lord, to, save, to see people saved around the world, to come to You. And Jesus, we believe that You are indeed from above. God, I pray that You would continue to reveal that to us. I, I pray for anyone here who is doubting, who has questions, who doesn't really know. Maybe they're standing at that crossroads and they're not sure which path to walk down, Lord. I, I pray that You, Jesus, would reveal Your origins to that person through Your Spirit in their hearts. Lord, would you make it clear? And God, for those of us who do believe you, I, I pray that this text would, would uh, cause our affections for you to magnify. That, Lord, we would love you more and we would just be so much more in awe of you that you came from heaven. Lord, we, we pray that the bud of our love for you would open and that the flower would grow and the fragrance, fragrance of love and worship would just open and spread. And Lord, that we would be filled with awe and wonder at you. And so, Lord, as we go to the communion table now, we pray that you'd bless us and that you would show us more of your great love for us as we meditate on the greatest miracle of all, a crucified Savior, a sacrificed Son of God who was buried and rose again. We love you, Jesus. Be with us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.